Hello, this is Michael Rosso, and welcome to the Film Photography Podcast, the podcast for folks who love to shoot film. It's January 15th, 2012, and this is episode number 53. On today's show, we have an exclusive interview with photographer and filmmaker Kurt Marcus. Kurt's new feature film, shot on Super 8, a documentary called It's About You, just opened in New York and Los Angeles. Our very own Paige Davis produced a Roland piece for us, an exclusive interview with Kurt. Paige works behind the scenes here at FPP in business development, and she'll also be on the program. And later on, I'm going to be sitting in the studio with Matt Mirage, and we're going to be talking about film. We'll be right back. Here it is. Images teased out of Super 8 and still cameras. The war for our souls, the future of America and of our past. Other epic themes. And, oh, I almost forgot. Music. Some kick-ass, badass music. And I gotta tell you, it gave me chills when I walked in this little teeny studio and there was an X where Elvis stood to sing to make sure that his vocals sounded a certain way and there was an X over there and an X over there. That's where the guitar player stood and that's where the bass player stood. And we sat up exactly like that and used one microphone and we had the most fun making the record you ever had in your life. First African Baptist Church, the oldest black church in North America. This church has permanence. There's a framed photograph of Robert Johnson in the bedroom of 414 that takes an imagination to conjure up Robert sitting here in this very same room with a guitar in his lap. Dave Rowe, the stand-up bass session player, said he had played with Johnny Cash and the cash had told him he thought Mellencamp was one of the ten best songwriters in music. Of course, John had to ask me why I hadn't gotten Dave saying it on camera. That was worth waiting for. Yeah, there's, that was it. That was it. That was it. That's the first time I've played all the chords. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do it again, so that must be it. Yeah, that was what you just heard was the trailer for the Kurt Marcus feature-length documentary, It's About You, the Super 8 documentary following John Mellencamp on his 2009 tour across the United States. And this feature film just opened theatrically this past week. <laughs> <laughs> and sitting across from me is Paige Davis. I'm delighted to be here. Thanks. Paige has been working behind the scenes with FPP for a few years now, and this is a great time because we had an opportunity to record an exclusive interview with photographer Kurt Marcus. 
Tell us a little bit about who Kurt is. Kurt is a noted photographer whose images have appeared in Rolling Stone, Vanity Fair, the New York Times. I mean, this is sort of, you can add to everything I'm going to mention amongst others. And who shot advertising campaigns for Armani, BMW, and Levi's. Uh, He's also directed music videos, uh, I believe most of which, if not all of this, were also shot on his Super 8 camera for Jewel, Tori Amos, and John Mellencamp before embarking upon this project. Kurt and his son, Ian, uh, directed the Super 8 documentary, It's About You Together. And it was, in fact, uh, made during John Mellencamp's 2009 summer tour and then 2010 recording sessions. Uh, It's About You premiered at the South by Southwest Film Festival, and it's been doing the festival circuit and concluding with some theatrical screenings in Los Angeles and New York. And you and I had the opportunity to attend one of those this past Saturday. Yes, we did. Through the miracle of um, digital audio recording, we were able to send a series of questions over to Kurt. I wanted to just tip off our FPP listeners uh, as to what questions we came up with. You know, the press release and the various um, uh, media coverage for the event really reviewed a lot of um, Kurt's impetus, you know, what inspired him and how he began the project, how the project came to fruition. But uh, we felt that rather than bore the audience by reading an entire (laughs) press release, we would ask Kurt to understandably review some of this and then, you know, move forward into um, uh, expanding upon some other aspects of the piece. So uh, Kurt uh, answered um, some questions about his, uh, when he first became interested in photography, what prompted him to choose it as a career, which subjects inspire him, why he uh, did not make the decision to switch to digital, as many other photographers have, what he likes about the traditional photography medium, and uh, a little bit about his relationship with John Mellencamp, and uh, why he selected uh, Super 8 as the as the medium, the format for this particular project. And then he elaborates a little bit on the uh, production of the piece and how the experience has affected him as, as an artist, which I think is really fascinating. Let's go to the roll-in, as they say. Great. Yeah. Well, I never set out to be a photographer. Uh, It was something that basically kind of just landed on me. I was working for a tennis company back in the early 70s, and they needed a picture done of two people, like, shaking hands after a tennis match. And it was just very low-grade PR-type picture making, and I was doing the best I could. I didn't really take it seriously until I got a photo credit in a newspaper that ran with one of my pictures, and it kind of kind of kicked me in the butt a little bit. As It was like, here's my name out there associated with something, and so I thought, you know, maybe I ought to get better at this. At least kind of remove some of the anxiety about just not having anything on the film, just the pure technical aspect of it I just dropped off my film at the drugstore and that was that was how it worked but I didn't understand how photography worked in the technical side so for quite a long time I was interested mainly in just the technical aspect how to make an exposure how to use light if you will all the books that I purchased were how-to kind of books and then gradually I, I got to the point where I started to take a more interest in looking at magazines and noting who was doing pictures and what kind of pictures that I was attracted to and sports photography 
was an initial attraction of mine, and that required long lenses and particular kind of sensibility of like wildlife photography in a sense you're tracking something and trying to find it, frame it while it's moving, etc. But then uh, I kind of uh, got blindsided by when I was looking in a, in a photography books, I moved out of the how-to section and, and I stumbled on a book called The Flame of Recognition. It was a book of Edward Weston's photographs and it just caught me at the right moment, I think. And I was flipping through the pages at the bookstore, and I landed on uh, his pepper number 30, which was a straight photograph. He had made the photograph of by placing a pepper in a funnel and using a very long exposure with an 8x10 camera. The question of what prompted me to uh, make a career of photography, if you will. Well, once I caught fire, really, with picture making, it was really no longer a question to me of would I keep doing it or could I make a living at it. I never really looked at the issue objectively. I didn't make a conscious decision at some point to say to myself, okay, Kurt, you're going to be a photographer now. It just happened it it once i had seen edward weston's photographs I, I there was no turning back from that moment on it became an obsession you don't walk away from an obsession i don't think the obsession has to either die or move in another direction that's the obsession that started it and i may have moved in some other directions since that time but basically the same fire that was built way back then is still burning I'm inspired more by the photographer's response to subject than I am to the subject itself, if that makes any sense. I, I'm inspired by other photographers' work a lot. I've got a pretty great photography book collection. I've been a very good student of the medium, I think. Not because I'm training to be a teacher. I simply going to this work uh, as fuel for my inspirations. And I like to see what's been done. I think it's a good thing to know whose shoulders you're standing on. When the question comes up about what I want to photograph, it, it has a lot to do with, more to do anyway, with just what's inside of me. What am I responding to that's pure, that's real, that isn't just a commercial assignment in any way? The portrait is always a subject that you can go to, I can go to, endlessly. And at the same time, I really love nothing more than getting lost in the landscape. Both are quite different, and both bring their own challenges. I'd say that landscape picture-making is the more difficult of the two. Uh, simply, you don't have all the human baggage that a portrait carries with it. The, uh, the landscape without a figure in it requires a different sensibility to make a print of, as an example. The printmaking aspect of, uh, of photography becomes much more important and critical in, in pictures that don't have people in them. Photography is, by reputation, said to be a storytelling medium, although we try to make iconic photographs, which is somewhat at, at odds with this idea because you're trying to make one photograph say everything, and how you arrive at that one photograph is, is a, very much a trick, as well as beyond reach of most of us. 
I think in most ways the photojournalistic storytelling is through multiple images, maybe in a photo book carefully sequenced and arranged with a minimal text. We call that storytelling. I'm not sure how effective that is compared to great writing let's say, civil rights. Pictures of the civil rights era, uh, there are some pretty iconic photographs made during that time, but I don't think they come anywhere close to explaining, illuminating in a very engaging way the bigger story of civil rights as an example. So photography has a reputation on the one hand of storytelling, and yet on the other hand, I think it's very limited. And there are only a few photographers, I think, in the past who have been true storytellers with a, with a camera. One comes to mind is Mike Disfarmer from Heber Springs, Arkansas. I look at his portraits of people, and I know those people. In a single frame, I look at the subject, and that subject talks to me. It tells me, this is who I am, this is my life. I cringe when I hear the word analog, and I, I really reject that term, that, that word. To me, analog is, is the digital world trying to make photography uh, into a matter of science. All the science that makes digital digital is, for me, in the face of what I embraced when I started doing pictures, which was romance, adventure, mystery, magic that was associated and continues to be associated to me with film photography. So when someone says, oh, are you an analog or are you digital? I'm, I'm a photographer. I don't mean to be splitting hairs here, but they're really two different things. And a lot of choices go into making someone pick up a digital camera or a film camera. And I think that the process matters. It matters to me that I load film in a camera. It's part of the process. And whether or not anyone can tell a difference in the result is actually immaterial to me. It's how I live. It's how I want to spend the day. And that for me is not even really a choice. I find uses for digital in sending photographs, looking at photographs occasionally. But the true expression of photography for me is the print, and it requires me to go into the dark room and make a print. Otherwise, that photograph is never complete. It's unborn. Well, I met John quite a long time ago, more than 20 years ago in New York City. It hired me to do some pictures of him. And it was a very energetic, lively, combative force that I met uh, when I met, first met John. And he hasn't changed much over the years. It's a really quite wonderful feeling to have a relationship with someone that carries over through the years. It doesn't happen all that often to many still photographers, I don't think, where you get this kind of opportunity. And it's very different to photograph someone a second time or third time or fifth time or on and on, your relationship changes through the process. And I was very lucky to have met John. And uh, I really treasure the, the archive, I guess, that we've made together. I was a little surprised when I got this call from him that he was interested in me doing a film. I had done a short little music video for him, very raw, low-budget affair. And to make an actual film documentary length totally came at me from the blue. It's funny how these things kind of work. Uh, his son, Hud, was boxing, a really good boxer. 
and I had sent HUD a book that I had done, pictures of boxers, and John had gotten a hold of it and liked the book very much. And he told me, you know, Kurt, I want this film to uh, look like your book. Well, I mean, he didn't really mean it was going to be a book, but he wanted that sensibility, I guess, that the book had. So that was the beginning of the project, uh, the film. It started with John, and like most things that he's involved with, he it ended with John. A very unique project, for sure, and uh, a real gift for me. I hope it's a somewhat, at least a smaller gift to John as well, and I hope he likes it every once in a while. How this documentary unraveled was uh, through serendipity. There was no plan, no screenplay that was going to guide this documentary from beginning to end. All I knew was that it was going to be a snapshot, if you will, of a particular moment in John's life and career. I think he felt really engaged and aware that Something was happening with this tour and with this upcoming recording session that was going to be special for him. And I think he wanted it documented, if nothing else. The film idea had to come after the fact for him. This didn't start off as a film. It kind of fell out of his planning to do the tour and the recording and could see that it could be a film that it had enough dimension and scope to it to be um, possible. The idea that uh, there's some Americana in this film really came out of the adventure of traveling with John, going to the recording sessions. It didn't uh, come from uh, baggage that I had necessarily of wanting to make a particular kind of statement, although I'm sure some of that probably creeps into it. We, being my son and I, put 10,000 miles on a rented minivan in the course of uh, this tour and recording sessions, so we got a chance to see a little bit of America from one end to the other, didn't particularly learn all that much uh, that was going to be anything new, but it was personal. The way in which my son and I collaborated to do this was personal. My view of John, him on stage and his music and his band and I knew I was going to use Super 8 once uh, I had had a discussion with John and and tried to get some idea of what his dream was for it, if you will, and what I might bring to it. I had shot a few music videos uh, on Super 8. I loved the look, and it was very important for me to have a look for this film. And it was important to my son Ian as well. He's grown up with film. Even though he's got a hand in the digital world, uh, he's very much a film person. The power of Super 8 film to me was like my right at my fingertips. I didn't have to become overnight a great cameraman. The Super 8 really handed me a look and a feel that I immediately could embrace. If I'm going to be making a film and I'm a still photographer, I think it ought to look like something. And the Super 8 just fit that perfectly. I had some great help uh, with Phil Vigant at Pro 8 Millimeter in Burbank. But the films that are available for Super 8 are just gorgeous. Cameras have been adapted by Pro 8 to do sync sound. And I knew that John uh, loved this kind of raw, emotional 
look to Super 8. That's what I had shot one of his music videos on, and I thought that was a good beginning point, That something that I thought that he could embrace when it was all said and done, a look and a, and a feel to it, that I think, in a way, mirrors much of his music. It seemed like a really good fit. Well, we went on tour. It was about a two-month adventure. Recording sessions were not in locations that his concert tour with Bob Dylan and Willie Nelson were plotted for. So recording sessions in San Antonio and in Memphis and in Savannah, Georgia, were accomplished in between concert dates. It required quite a lot of scrambling. Some pretty late nights on interstates to get from place to place, but about a two-month shooting experience. Making a film is a very humbling experience. No matter how many still photographs I had done, nothing really prepared me to do a film of this length. I think what I learned from it is how rare it is to have this work. But when it does, it's a very compelling medium. I'm starting to see that the world in movement and allowing it to move requires a new kind of mindset for me. Up until the making of this film, I've been thinking of stopping time rather than letting time unfold. The other aspect of filmmaking, it's called sound, which is huge. And even from the beginning, I I knew that sound was going to be important, but I saw it as a blank canvas, and I thought that anything could happen with sound. It wasn't just a given. It wasn't just a microphone stuck in someone's face or whatever that sound came from. That sound could be as abstract as film could be. And in that level of abstraction, which I love, the viewer's imagination comes into play. It's not quite nailed down. There are a lot of loose edges. And that's the part of filmmaking that I think I'd want to explore. Maybe in the near future here, I'd love to find a a look that works independent of sound, and I would like to find sound that works independently of the visual. And then somehow you put them together and something quite miraculous might happen. That's the attraction. That was photographer, filmmaker Kurt Marcus talking about uh, It's About You, documenting John Mellencamp's tour across America. I thought the entire experience was, was fantastic. I absolutely loved the documentary. I'd like to know, since we're continuing this dialogue, which started immediately after we exited the theater and we were both like really just talking nonstop, now that we've had a couple days to stop and think about this, what were your, what do you feel the strengths were and perhaps what were some of the challenges of the film? I, I felt now that it is a few days since I saw the film, uh, I have a great, greater appreciation for it because it's not a traditional documentary. And for me, some, some questions uh, and answers were left out of the documentary, but I don't know if it's really that important because the film stands on, on its own. It's beautifully simplistic. I felt that the Super 8 was the perfect format for this project. Uh, I think a lot of the reviews, that's where most reviews were in agreement, is that the, you know, the subject matter, the, the stripped-down nature of John's tour and his 2010 recording sessions, uh, the small-town Americana aspect of it, and the uh, for various formats, the very simple manner, one mic, you know, very simple rooms. Right. I mean, they, they everything about the tour 
and the filming of the tour and the documentary was incredibly uh, lo-fi. And so all of that was just, it, it was perfectly complimentary. I wanted to mention this, I think this will give your audience, Michael, a, a good idea of the feel of the film. Uh, the homepage of Kurt's website opens with this paragraph. Kurt writes, I knew I wanted to make photography my life when I opened an aperture book titled Edward Weston and saw Pepper Number 30. Pow! The force of that image hit me square in the gut. I practically doubled over from the sudden rush of emotion and epiphany. The world suddenly opened up. Anything was possible. Anything could be made into a picture. It was 1977 and I was 30. You read a paragraph like that and you think that that was written by a storyteller, whether that storyteller is working through the medium of imagery or language right. or motion picture. And that is very much the, the, the narrative style of, of this project. I would agree. I want to mention that the music is absolutely absolutely fantastic and and again it's it's the opposite it's the antithesis of a slickly produced uh concert you know documentary the shots of john and his backup band performing on stage the shots of the crowd responding there's just such a feeling of authenticity in not only the performances but the way the the audience reacts to the performances and, and the music is absolutely phenomenal you know, Mike, we were talking about uh, that some of the reviews had talked about decay and the changes in uh, the American landscape and small towns and how the film really sort of sheds a light on that and how that's so uh, tied in thematically to mm -hmm. the uh, to a lot of John's lyrics and, and the, you know, the theme of his music and where he's going with his music. And I also actually thought that it was about mortality and the impermanence of nature and relationships and, and things, but not in a not in a tragic way, in a nostalgic yeah. and not cloyingly sentimental way, but in a really beautifully simple um, sort of journey that we take with them through America and through the various towns that they stop in and through John's lyrics and the fact that almost everyone involved in the project is a mature this is not a film about a bunch of 20 year olds this right. is a film about mature seasoned professionals and made by one of the two directors a, a mature seasoned professional and, and artist so yeah. well thank you Paige thanks Michael and thank you Kurt <laughs> yes thank you Kurt uh, we're gonna take a quick break I'm not gonna let you like run out because you're never on the show you're always behind the scenes on the show um, Paige her expertise is business and we all need business sense and many of us have blogs, websites, uh, have aspirations to sell prints. And I thought, wow, why not ask Paige some, of, some tips on good business sense in launching a blog or your website. So we're going to chat about that as soon as we get back. All America is camera land. And it's yours just for the picture taking. Now let me show you. For some, camera land is a far off lake where the boats go whizzing by. For others, Cameraland is their own front yard, where the kids go whizzing by. Cameraland can be a quiet place just made for sharing together. Or it can be an exciting place that's worth bringing home in all its wonder. In fact, Cameraland is all around you, wherever you go, whatever you do. And it's full of the fun that won't stand still. The fun that's just made for movies because movies tell a story as no other pictures can. Step by step, a lifelike story that's so easy to make 
and so wonderful to see. Right now, your Kodak dealer has a world of new movie cameras to help you capture all the action and color. And new automatic movie projectors, too. You'll find them at photo stores featuring this special Kodak 1961 Cameraland display. Look for it. Hey, we're back. What advice can you offer a person who's going to uh, launch a blog or a website where communication's involved with, with people writing in? Uh, what tips come to mind? I think it's important to mention that it's always positive. Oh, that's awesome. It is so oh. important to remain positive. Professional, absolutely. Yes. Uh, but once you've identified what uh, personality you, you, you know, your particular uh, brand or image has, right. you can get, you know, you can get silly with that. You know, it, professional does not mean you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be completely dry and a stick and, and right. never have a sense of humor. But it's, just, it's I think it's even more um, or as equally important to, to remain positive. One's blog or website, whether it's personal and you are your brand or whether you are promoting a service so that you are more or less, you know, you're more behind the scenes. It cannot be a forum for criticism or, or negativity. It has absolutely no place. Anyone who is launching a website or blog should ask themselves if their current or future employer could read this and would that be, you know, would, would they still oh. be viewed in the same light or would this be a positive? You know, because even if you're starting something as a sideline, it's important that the image that you put out there, yes, you know, um, because it's, it's the internet. Anyone can see anything at any time. And it doesn't, go, whatever you post doesn't go away. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So just like, just as with email, it's, it's very important to ask yourself these questions. Like, could my Nana read this right. and be okay with it could my employer read this and would that be okay so yeah what about uh, image or uh focus does one need to think about branding yourself or projecting a certain image or being very specific about what you're trying to say does your blog need some kind of encapsulated one two sentence explanation of what it is absolutely i before ever launching uh, a website or blog you should ask yourself what is it that I'm trying to accomplish and or communicate? Know your own, know your goals. No, try to distill it down to as few words as possible. You know, what is it that I hope to achieve? And then um, you have to ask yourself how you will communicate that goal to your audience and or customer. And that is across the board. Uh, that's your, your logo, the oh. name of your site, your mission statement, all of which is part of your, your brand. What is my brand? How am I communicating my brand to my audience? And what is the personality of my brand? And that can be as, uh, as detailed as the colors that you use. You know, is this something that I want? Uh, do I want to be perceived as, as very, you know, professional? like right. a banker, or do I want to be perceived as fun, you know, fun, like an event planner or, you know, especially if say you're a wedding photographer, let's oh, bring yeah. something very specific and, oh, yes. and, um, on topic into this, say you're a wedding photographer. Once you've identified what you want to achieve, well, I'm a wedding photographer and I want people to hire me to shoot their weddings. Right. Great. Then you take it to the next, you, you, you further, 
uh, narrow your field down. Well, how will I differentiate myself from all of the other wedding photographers out there? So do I shoot look- film. Yeah, ex- exactly. <laughs> I shoot film. And then, and then perhaps, especially in this day and age, you should then also communicate as succinctly as possible what is good about you shooting film to the client. Like, right. what are the benefits of this to the client? And that could be anything from the aesthetic to a, you know, a hard copy afterward to some sort of, um, you know, printing and displaying that uh, maybe some all-inclusive service that you want to offer that uh, would be a little bit more um, hands-on and tangible than just handing a flashcard to somebody at the end of the day kind of thing. But once you've identified your goals and then you've uh, uh, determined exactly how you're going to distinguish yourself from the competition and how you're going to communicate that to your audience, um, I think it's also important to do a uh, like a brief test market of this before you go live, uh, invite some people in who don't, who, who haven't sat there with you for hours discussing what your goals are and see if they can, through the visuals and the text that you've put together, if they can understand, you know, what is their impression? You know, what Excellent. do you think I'm about? Yes. How do you perceive this? You know, what do you think my strengths are based on, on looking at this? And, uh, and then take their feedback yes. because we're all so close to our projects, whether it's art, that's our baby, you're or so whether it's business. You're so close to it that you don't realize you're not getting the message across. No, because the message is there in your head, so you well, right. are automatically, you know. Which, mm-hmm. ironically, uh, veteran photographer, friend, and producer Sam Sherman looked at the FPP site. Yes. I mean, shocking to me because, you know, we spent, we spent months putting the FPP site before launching it, but you still can't get the impression from that outsider. So when Sam said, what did Sam say? Because you spoke to him. Yes, I did. I had a very lengthy conversation with with Sam. Lengthy and enjoyable as always, Sam, if you're listening. Uh, Sam said, what is this? (laughs) (laughs) I almost fell out of my chair. Like, whoa, wait a minute. Whoa, and Sam is someone who I know, I've worked with, I respect. He is a seasoned photographer. You name any camera, he knows it. For those who don't know what we're talking about, this is Sam Sherman. He runs Independent International Pictures and made the film that inspired me and changed my life, Dracula versus Frankenstein. <laughs> Combination of 35 millimeter and 16 millimeter, made in 1971. Lon Chaney's last movie. I mean, I grew up loving monsters, so Sam Sherman was like a god to me. Like, oh my God, Sam Sherman. I know he lives in New Jersey. Maybe someday I can meet him. Not only did I meet him, but I've worked with him. Uh, we think that probably we just need like some kind of sentence somewhere on the FPP site. Right. In the film world, it would be called a tag. Yeah. Right. Just below the FPP logo. Yeah. That further communicates what it what what FPP is, what the film photography project. So is. input really is good. I would um, guess that you take it for what it is based on the person. For example, if you show your grandpa, "Hey, mom, dad, grandpa, check out my site," mm, they may not get it. I'm just thinking of my own family. I don't understand. What is this? <laughs> Are we going to do the Nana voice? I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. It's like standing on the street shooting with a large format camera and people come up to you and, you know, they do the old, you know. They still make film? Uh, obviously, uh, FPP and other sites that, you know, that are film-centric are so niche that we kind of forget. But, but Sam's not an outsider. He shoots film. So that's, that's what kind of rude awakening for me. Like, oh, my God, I think we need to, you know. Focus this up a little bit. That's great advice to seek advice from people. Yes, ask. Ask, yeah. for, ask for input. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Now, uh, isn't it true, Paige, that you launch a site, let's say you launch a store, and then you're standing at the door waiting for people to just come running in. You have to really work it, don't you? (laughs) (laughs) Paige is laughing because she knows I know the answers to these questions. Because these are the conversations we've been having for nearly eight years. So, <laughs> And whether it's, you know, the internet has provided us with a means of, um, it's it's really a very, it's almost like a very sophisticated, this is so oxymoronic, very sophisticated grassroots marketing. Because the, you know, in the old days, grassroots marketing would have been, you know, very local, handing out flyers, Flyering. knocking on doors, yep. exactly, street teams, things like this. Oh, the car go- and- goes through the street with the speaker on it absolutely vote for you know and now we have the means through the internet of um you know marketing ourselves promoting our brand and our service ourselves but instead of just reaching the people within within you know hearing distance of that megaphone right. we can reach people all the way across the the world and that's i think that's just it's 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 amazing it'll never cease to amaze me so um i mean michael you uh educated yourself and and latched on to this very, very early. And then I think it's important to mention that consistency is so important. So, so, so important. And not just consistency in self-promotion, in, you know, if you have a podcast, making sure that it's available on every platform possible, you know, Amazon, Podbean, you know, it's the list is constantly growing, that you're using Facebook and Twitter and um, the various social media sites in order to promote your brand, but also consistency in updating your blog or website as well. People, once you begin to develop a fan base, people expect your next announcement, product, podcast, whatever it may be, to be available regularly you know, whether yes. it's bi-weekly, bi-monthly, et cetera. And, you you know, you have to you have to stick with that. I uh, think that's probably the most important thing is to be consistent. That's oh, I'm so glad you brought that up because I, I kind of live by it in the sense that even if even if your audience is small, I remember when I first started the podcast and, you know, you had numbers like, oh, 25, 50. <laughs> Which was so exciting. Yeah. Didn't ma- it didn't matter if it was 50 because even if there's not a lot of people in your audience, you still have to bring the curtain up on time. Yes. Yeah. But perception is 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 everything. I mean, the, the message in the medium is what I'm thinking about right now. I mean, no matter how fantastic your message is, if it is sloppily and inconsistently presented, people aren't going to take the time. to read they're not going to give it that chance so you need to do everything possible to um to present your message right or service or product in as professional a manner as possible and then allow your your audience to decide whether they want it or not as opposed to i'm not going to bother to read that or oh gosh that person didn't post again that month or this was all great information and folks out there listening as always you could send us an email at podcast at film photography project.com uh if you have any observations questions comments etc so forth Uh, Always love to hear you. Paige, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Mike. We're going to take a break. And when I come back, I will be in the studio with Matt Marash. We'll be back.
get sharp, beautiful pictures in minutes with Pronto, Polaroid's low-priced automatic, and the new Super Clear SX-70 film. It's clear it's got to be Pronto. It's clear it's got to be Pronto. It's clear Polaroid's Pronto. What do you say? Pronto! Hey, we're back. I'm here with Matt Morash in the studio. Hey, Matt. Hey, how's it going, guys? Mike Rosso here, Michael Rosso. Hey, Matt, this is the Film Photography Podcast. Oh, really? What, what do we talk about on the Film Photography <laughs> we Podcast? We talk about uh, shooting with film, which, you know, since last year, 2011, and that, that, that year way far away, 2010, remember that? Both crazy years. And then 2009, people still all strung out on digital. <laughs> What's you? <laughs> <laughs> Here we are in 2012, and I can tell you that. Well, first of all, welcome everybody. This is the uh, internet radio show for people who really dig film, shooting on film or shooting digital. Thinking about moving to film, you, you hear hear people talking about all this film, all this Polaroid. What what are they talking about? There's a lot of people. Oh, what is this film? And since 2009, starting this podcast, things have really changed. And I can tell you how I, you know, you say, Mike, uh, how do you gauge change? How do you, how do you know? What are you yeah, talking How do you know? About? eBay. I looked up Yashica A, and I own two Yashica A cameras. Yashica A is a 120 film camera. It takes roll film. It's one of those old-timey cameras where you look down into it. Twin lens. Twin lens, yes. Thank do you, Do we Matt. have a roll sound effect? Like some roll. No. <laughs> roll. <laughs> I bought my Yashica A for $100 or less I went on the bay, and there were like five of them, you know, five worth looking at. Oh, okay. Because you're on eBay, and you want you want a camera and that's going to work. you don't want a beater, yeah. Over three, oh, $300. Whoa. Whoa. No. Yeah. 300 I have found that the pulse on film is that prices have gone up, which tells me that a lot more people are, are interested. Yeah. I thought it was just I thought it was just the higher-end stuff, too. My no. Hasselblad stuff doubled from when I bought when I started buying. 8x10, forget about it. Yeah. I don't, anybody says, oh, man, I want to shoot 8x10. No. <laughs> it's too expensive. You break, sell your car. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> As you might know, Matt, I'm leading the 110 film revolution. A very strong revolution, yes. just despite its small following. The uh, troops here are here in Butler, New Jersey, the 110 Brigade. And I have an amazing uh, interest in 110 film on the bay. Do it up. Because it's it's buy it now. It's a, a Fujifilm 200 ASA, 110 film. It's batch tested, it's reliable, and it's... 599 pr- And the price point, that's what it is. Because yep. everybody else, it's, it's all over the board, yeah. and it's older. Yeah. So I mean, I think you're you're it, right? Yeah. So if yes, so if you go to the bay or if you go to you know filmphotographypodcast.com and just go into the store, you'll see that we have like a, a huge batch of 110 film. So much stuff to talk about. Yeah, it's it's kind of a this is this is definitely a FPP old school. But l- I just want to share before we really get rolling, rolling, a few things about <laughs> p- Polaroid. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sorry, folks. For those, this, for those of you tuning in for the first time, Mr. Michael Rosso likes to talk about Polaroid. Yes. When I first started doing the podcast, everything was everything was discovery. Yeah. Because I spent my entire life shooting with the Canon AE-1, my 50-millimeter lens, That's it. my Vivitar 80-200 to lens, and my 28-millimeter lens. That was it. Kodak Gold. <laughs> And occasionally a roll of Tri-X or Panatomic. Woo. But my entire young life. And by the way, I, I dug out some old photo albums. I mean, I've always been a doc, what do you call it, documentarian. Talk about vanilla. I mean, <laughs> I went through the entire 1980s, entire 1990s, never even thinking, Matt, that there was 
anything else out there to try? Not, I mean, forget about different formats. Let's talk about how about a different brand of film. Amazing. How about a roll of Ilford? But, but you know, in this, and this is just this is just one guy doing this. Imagine millions of people were doing this. I mean, that's just what it was. Well, it had to do with two things. It had to do with location. Where do you buy your film? I walk into the drugstore and buy the film. I didn't go to the city, New York City, often, so I wasn't. I didn't know what a B and H was or mm-hmm. a large superstore was. Yeah. It's very much like I didn't know it existed, and it wasn't until I got on the internet with Flickr in two thousand nine exactly that, and I pulled my gear out of the closet to start this podcast. That I was like, talk about a, uh, an explosion! Like, oh my god, the internet changes the game, but in a really cool way because I mean that's how you folks are finding us right now. Yeah, like a lot of folks are finding this podcast by searching iTunes. Yeah, because for film. somehow they they want to get involved with film photography, so they just picked it up and like here we are. It's really cool. Hey yeah. guys, hey. Hey. hey, hey, hey guys, we're here <laughs> on this radio. So so this year, I think, uh-huh. if I'm talking about something in like sort of like quickly give a re- like oh what what is that? You know what are you talking about? Give a quick rundown of it. Try to give a quick rundown. What I have in front of me, which I briefly want to talk about, is. Polaroid, of course, is instant photography. <laughs> Polaroid doesn't produce film anymore, but depending on what Polaroid you're using, you can get film from the Impossible Project. They make film available right in our store. What I rarely shoot is Polaroid SX70 film, and for those of you who don't know, you can go to YouTube and type in Polaroid James Garner. This is Polaroid's new Time Zero One Step, and here's the world's fastest developing color. He's, of course, the actor from the Rockford Files yeah. from the 1970s. And he always, him and Mariette Hartley, always had the Polaroid one-step. They have commercials with the white rainbow one. The, you know, the, the classic. The classic camera, yeah. And they also have one with, a, with they call the Time Zero one-step. I kind of like the Time Zero one-step. Yeah, you're digging it. it. It's like it's like Dark Side of the Moon cam. You it know? Is. <laughs> oh, my God, it really is. Yeah. We, they, should, they totally should have marketed that. <laughs> and in 1977, uh, my dad had a Polaroid one-step, the white one, mm-hmm. this one, the rainbow. You know, it was just cool. It was just, like, it was just, uh, you know, it was the family camera. Yes. It was just around the house. So whenever my parents would have, like, uh, like a 1970s party, like an adult <laughs> party. Okay. Where, like... Basically, everyone comes over in their Cadillacs and like boozes it up the entire night. This is the seventies. Par- parents would have a party. They go out, or they would have people over, and that everyone would get loaded. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you don't. There's no. Just, so everyone was loaded, and I was. Shoot, I wish I could find the pictures. I was there with the Polaroid One Step shooting, doing your job, documenting people with the lampshades on. There. Yes, that's what it was. Guys playing the guitar. It was like something out of a Peter Sellers movie. <laughs> and here's this, you know, eleven year old kid, kind of weaving in the the packed house of you know shooting Polaroids, and I have them all somewhere. Uh, the Polaroid One Step. It's usually popular now, and it takes SX70 film. And you can find a bunch of them on the bay, right? Yeah. Of these? Yes. Oh, yeah. 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 These are all over the place. Flea markets, the Bay. <laughs> FPP store. Yeah. I mean, but they're, and they're at a good price point. That's why a yeah. lot of people like them, too. And everybody had them. Yeah. Now, I noticed that on eBay also now, they there are folks that are selling empty Polaroid cartridges. Uh, you get an empty cartridge in order to test cameras because some of these cameras, since they're from 1977, the motors go. Yes. So I have an empty cartridge. And since I shoot so, mo- so much Polaroid, I have the dark card that... 
when you buy a pack of film, so the, you know it comes out. Yeah, yeah. The first thing you have is a dark card protecting the film. So I kind of snuck the dark card back in. So not only does it test the camera, but also test the motor. And we just found out that there's a very important reason for that, right? Yeah. <laughs> Many of them don't, don't work. The motor's just sh- like it'll make the sound, but it's, it won't shoot it. It's almost impossible to buy an older SX70 camera on eBay and know that it works unless the person selling it actually says... Or knows Polaroid, yeah. Yeah, but even some of those people... They don't have the film around. They don't have the around. film, or if they have the empty cartridge, they don't know if the motor's going to spit the film out. Exactly. Crapshoot. So these cameras on the bay, these can go anywhere from 30 to $40. Really? Yeah. Well, okay, the bay is getting bad, because folks, last year, two years ago, I scored one for a whopping $5. You can find these at like Goodwill and stuff for 5 bucks. So I have an empty pack of film with a, a black card in it. I'm putting it in the SX70 white rainbow camera. Let's see what happens. Success. Nice. All right, so I know this camera works, and tonight, after we record the segment, we're going to uh, go with John Fideli to... Uh, uh, to visit Dane and the Smooth Sailors. We're going to smooth out. In action, practicing, which is quite amazing. It's going to be my first time vis- visiting that. That'll be fun. Yeah, it's great. I've never seen John or any- anybody play, so okay. this will be fun. It's going to be awesome. Here's the... D- <laughs> Matt dubbed this the dark side of the moon camera. This is the black... They call it time zero one step. Oh, nice. The motor sounds... It sounds like it, it, it's about halfway there. Yeah. Yeah. But you were also holding it up, you know, like most people aren't going to shoot it up at the sky. So maybe, you know. Let's try it again. Okay. Now, in order to use a flash with these cameras, which inside you kind of need it. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's SX-70 film. Yeah, it's slower. You go and you buy what's known as a flash bar. This is what 2012 was about. (laughs) (laughs) Stoops. Polaroid. No, but you know, very few of us. How many of us are actually like sitting in a, a dark room, changing bag, or in the, in the closet in the dark? You know, putting the black card back into empty cartridges to test film. None of us. <laughs> <laughs> Let's try again. Okay, I'm gonna hold the camera upright this time. This is the b- dark side of the moon cam. It still sounds a little weak on I'd, on the end of it. I'd say that this camera is. I'm gonna shoot this tonight. Okay, don't shoot like frozen like packs through it or something. Now, really quick, last last thing on SX70. Back in the 1970s, oh, one of the, the, I haven't seen one of this those one in a matches. Long time. Yeah, um, uh, Polaroid and a few other companies started coming out with electronic flashes mm-hmm. that would snap on the top of the camera and adapt to the flash bar. Uh, yeah, yeah, and adapt in the flash circuit. Unfortunately, most of these that I've I've come across, I have about maybe ten of these hanging around. The insides aft, yeah, <laughs> corroded, corroded. And it's unfortunate. So the best thing to have for any older camera that takes batteries, go and get a jar of white vinegar. That will, uh, that will uh, sizzle out the corrosion. Okay. If you put the, as soon as you touch the white vinegar to corrosion, you hear sizzle. Does it smell like bacon? <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't, unfortunately. Don't smell it. <laughs> and then once I do that, I take um, another key which I understand that Leslie from Imagine That also uses. Yeah, she uses a, a bunch of different varieties, actually, yeah. Deoxit D100. We, so she has different types? She's got this little adorable little dipper thing. It's like half an ounce of it, and it's like the liquid form. It's not the I've aerosolized. Never seen, I've never seen that. And she uses it to wipe away. Um, I think it's a different kind of deoxit, but it's for wiping when she changes light seals in cameras for people. Yeah. 
she can take off the glue with that stuff without any oh. without any troubles, and then put the new seals in. She actually. Uh, she taught me how to replace light seals on the camera. So, so I mean, let's say you're at a flea market or you're on the bay, and let's say you bought a Canon AE-1 outfit, yeah. you know, with flash, a, a Pentax K-1000 outfit with flash, a Mamiya 645, yeah, with flash. You're gonna, f- you may find that you have all sorts of like, you know, corrosion issues. It's, most people never think to take out the battery before they put it away in a closet for an undetermined amount of time. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> fail. I mean, you can hear those things yeah. start purring. <laughs> so, I, you know, this is the, the dark side of the moon. <laughs> Polaroid, time zero, one step. This, I mean, this matches with the camera. It's a match. But With the batteries, does that, fla- oh. does that flash bar flash weigh as much as the camera? <laughs> it looks like it does. Yeah, there's problems all around here. Oh. See, there's, there's also... Oh, on the, the uh, back contact, yeah. So, I mean, digging in, digging, digging in vintage. Also, I mean, it is. It's a, it's a bit of a crapshoot. It's, it's a hurdle. Mm-hmm. Would you say it could be part of the fun? A lot of folks do find it fun just because there's a adventure. It's an adventure. There's something they're doing with their hands, you know. Yeah. And a lot of folks like that about anything film. They like the unpredictability of it, and, and cameras are another part of the unpredictability. But there's always that joy, like some, when someone like Dane, one of our other FPP guys, oh, when I he mean, can just rig anything. Yeah. Yeah, when he buys something, or if he buys something like my Crown Graphic, and it's like so well taken care of. Oh, those are great. It's like mint. I try to find those. No, fail. No? No. Well, this probably could be cleaned further. By the way, SX70 film is now made by the Impossible. It's called PX100. And they've got some. They've got some really good stuff there. They have the PX100, which is new black and white. Yep. Film, and that's uh, the UV plus emulsion. And then they have their oh, uh, PX70. And then PX70, which is their color film, and that's uh, it's pretty cool stuff. I mean, it, it's gonna look, it's gonna have that vintage. If you bought the camera for a vintage look, yeah, you're gonna get that with their color films. A lot of folks are very, very pleased with it. The new films is not Polaroid formula. No, but I think I think a lot of people are, are jumping on that because it's not. It, it gives them a look right right out of there that they. I've shot packs and packs and packs of Impossible film, but one thing that I, keeps me coming back is. I have no idea. Like I can't pre-visualize how it's going to come out. Sometimes, because sometimes you get those little, the little sparkly, you know, yes. unspread areas. Sometimes you get this really cool kind of like border effect, grindy borders yeah. on there. It's very cool, and I think that's all part of the you know experimental film thing. But at yeah. the same time, the colors are very, very cool and very soft and retro. <laughs> Well, a, a video slash blog I'm working on is called Polaroid Witch Camera. And that is for someone just getting involved in like, oh, how do I, you really kind of need a scorecard. Yeah. Like integral film. Then you have SX70 or 600. Both are the type that spits out the front, as mm-hmm. I call it. Then you have your peel film, your, your yeah, pack, pack camera film. Yeah. Called Polaroid 100. I received just an email today. Hey, um, you know, the person has a Polaroid 420. Yeah. What, even though she knows about the Fuji FP100C. They want something more. Like, what else is available for this camera? Yeah. It, I just take it for granted that I know, but in fact, it gets quite confusing. It's very confusing. And I remember, you know, I think it was sometime last year we did, you know, we kind of ran down the numbers, but even that was kind of, I mean, that was, that was confusing us. We were going through so many numbers at once. So I think, I think it would be very good to have a blog that matches up with that. Yeah. That'd be great. Yeah. Maybe even something interactive, like yeah. select your like a pull down, like select your camera, Ooh. and then it'll show the films available, and then you I like click know. that and buy it right I on the store. I don't know. What do you think, Michael Kalea? 
Sorry, Mike. <laughs> we get that. Well, if anyone has any questions, if you're interested in instant photography and kind of want to put your toe in, you can always reach us at filmphotographypodcast at gmail.com. Yo. I was doing our other email address. By the way, it's the same. It's the same. It just goes to the same place, which is podcast at filmphotographyproject.com. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break in a second, but this show, we have listener letters, mm-hmm. which brings up some great topics. A lot of good segues from there. Yeah. I have next to me something called a Lomo Kino. <laughs> Whoa, what's that? <laughs> Wait till you see it or hear it. <laughs> uh, oh, we're going to talk about um, yeah. 4 by 5 film photography and film holders, because if you bought the camera, like I did, I bought the camera, and I only had a few film holders. We're going to talk about what it is, how to, you know, quickly, you know, what, what do you mean film holders? Don't you, like, use a roll? No. No, it's completely different. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about what Matt's been up to. Tons of stuff. Something about wet plates. Yeah. They, For me, <laughs> wet plates is like, you know, dry those plates, <laughs> you know, after dinner. Pretty, cl- eh, pretty close. Close. A lot of washing involved. Yeah, so we'll be back in a second. Now here's Ozzy with news about Big as Life Pictures. Say, do you know what this is? It's a Kodak 35-millimeter color slide. Not very big, is it? Only two inches by two inches. And yet, when you project it on a home screen, you get color pictures as big as life. Now, a Kodak has many fine color slide cameras and a wide range of prices. Here's one I like especially. The new Kodak Signet 50 camera. It has a built-in photoelectric light meter that takes all the guesswork out of exposure. You just aim it at your subject, and it tells you how much light there is or isn't. It's just like having an expert photographer showing you which setting to use. The Kodak Signet 50 camera, complete with flash holder, costs $82.50, or as little as $8.50 down. When you see its many fine features, I'm sure you'll accept no other. Hey, we're back. <laughs> <laughs> never ne- fails. Ne- oh, never straight face that. I don't know anybody that has. May- maybe some guests, but not even. No. Yeah. Everybody gets chuckled. <laughs> let's uh, let's let's dive into a letter. Whoa! First listener letter, Mike. Look at this. It's from uh, from Spencer at Sharp Photo. Spencer at Sharp. Uh, you were pretty keyed up about this. I'm I'm very keyed up about. Well, this. here's a scoop. Spencer from Sharp Photo sent us an email about a year ago. I work at Sharp Photo. My dad, he's the Grand Poobah. He runs the joint. <laughs> He's got the hat, too, the Grand Poobah hat. We want to give away some processing, and we did a great big film and processing giveaway. And, and that um, was big for them. That was yeah, yeah. So we did that last year. And then, of course, you know, we, we, we rotate a little bit. Yeah, we you know, give everybody a little love. Yeah, we, we, did, uh, we talked about Hamilton photo laps for a while. <laughs> Hamilton, Brant, <laughs> Cornfell. Hamilton, Brant, Cornfell, up front. Help yourselves. Get a good one. So uh, this Hamilton Photo Labs, they only do E6. E6. Can you believe that? They only do slide processing. And then, of course, we're doing like a 2011 (laughs) recap. Of course, then later in the year, I received an email from uh, Phil and Keith from The Dark Room. And we had The Dark Room giveaway. Yeah. This is The Dark Room, West Coast Lab. What's amazing about The Dark Room is that they do black and white, E6 slide, C41 color print, cross-processing, medium format, large format, 110, 126. That's huge. And they scan it all. It's almost impossible to find a place, unless you're doing it yourself, to scan 110 film. Yeah. I mean, never say impossible around here. No. So, just give you film. <laughs> 
I was, you know, we emailed back and forth to ADOX about them announcing that they're going to start manufacturing brand new 110 black and white film. And they're in a holding pattern. This has been going on for a year and a half. Why? Well, because the whole world is broke. No one can just start no one, up. No the, one wants to front all that money for one no. ten. It's, yeah. it's like Kodak. It's like exactly. Kodak and Keith Canham. And the runs, yeah. Keith Canham is a maker of large format cameras, and he gets people to buy his cameras, and he has almost like a club. He, he gets the, all these different uh, photo stores together to put to place group orders, and right. they, they maintain it online, and once they hit a minimum order, then they go ahead and give the, write the check to Kodak. Kodak makes the run, and they divvy it out. Very civilized. Happy. Yes. So with 110 film... I think they're waiting for their, their fingers on the pulse of, okay, is there anyone interested in this 110 film? They kind of seem like an all-or-nothing commitment they're looking for, though, like from one person, not from multiple people. What they're waiting for people. is the FPP to write the check. <laughs> so, and, and we're waiting for our listeners to go to Film Photography now. <laughs> so I was scrounging around for 110 film, like looking on the bay, looking for someone who has a massive lot. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, Phil on the West Coast at the darkroom has... A secret vault. So FPP bought up the film, and now you know we're like the only guys to have like uh, batch tested. You're it. <laughs> fresh, one ten film. And the next step is, come on, guys, you got to show your interest in one ten film to show us that you guys care enough about one ten film for Adox to make the one ten black and white. That's all there's to it. Yeah. yeah, that's that's all it is to it. It's like let's get out there and shoot one ten. And this is my pledge to one ten this year. The problem is that I can't concentrate on one subject. Like, I can't give up the Polaroid. I can't I say, this is my 110 year. This is the year of dot, dot, dot. Yeah, there's so no. many things in film photography. Yeah. Just so give it up. We're going to do a little bit of everything. But anyway, oh, sharp, sharp photo. Sharp photos, our good friend Spencer. So, but now our, our attention has been drawn back to Spencer from Sharp because Spencer just wrote this, this wonderful... What's, can I read yeah, someone? Yeah, 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 right. yeah. Everything is hopping at Sharp Photo. The Christmas season was, was in full swing. Uh, late nights and tons of crazy people and tons of fun. <laughs> crazy people. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> that's, that's, that's what it sounded like. Um, he said, he personally, he processed your stuff on a Wednesday... Or he, your stuff came in Wednesday night. It was out and processed by Thursday morning. Excellent. Fast. So we, He we, did all that local Kino stuff. Oh, did... Oh. <laughs> That was probably easy. He was like, really, Mike? What do you do? <laughs> it's ran through an acid bath. <laughs> so we certainly, we certainly have appreciated all the press from you and the FPP community. I've not listened to, to some of the, the newer weekly December podcasts as they, as they happen very quickly. Uh, I feel like we've neglected our friends and community here at FPP yeah, what's up with in you, the Spencer? past year, and it's just not right. <laughs> because of your show and the inspired community, we have seen the first increase in film processing for the, in years. Is that right? It says, seen an increase in film processing for the first time in several years. That's great. Inspired by that, and to show us some love, he's proposed a very cool little project because he he has been following along with with FPP and he knows he knows what the listeners want and what the you know what the listeners want Mike eight by ten prints they want a print exchange they want it bad we haven't done one since last uh, last March almost yeah almost a year almost a year okay so I think I think we got to give him a print exchange well we got to get one going yeah well Spencer's gonna help us out okay so we're gonna get this rocking and rolling but Spencer wants to help us out he's gonna do all the all the footwork so send your print to him online. We we'll send you a file, right? You send the file or or the slide or however the, oh, however you okay. want it printed. Send it to Sharp for a flat rate. He'll print it out, ship it anywhere in the world for the print exchange. He'll manage who gets. We what don't know about that exchange. world thing yet. Yeah, we don't know about that world thing yet. We gotta check so. out the world thing. Okay, is, it, is this limited to domestic U.S.? We he's, have to figure this he out. He says anywhere, but yeah, it could get 
a little dicey. We expensive know. quickly. But he and basically what's gonna happen is, you know, it's all gonna go. Aussie through. Phil, when Aussie Phil wants in. <laughs> he gets in. <laughs> and everybody gets the same size print. That's what's good too. Uh, that is kinda interesting. And I guess if someone wants to do it in their dark room, they have that option, right? Oh, they definitely have that option, but I th- I think this is just a really cool way to kind of ensure that everybody's getting the same thing, because I-, I don't know if, uh, if anybody else feels the same way, but I know if I were to send out, you know, an 8x10 and then, like, get a... Get a, like, a, what, like a dinky 3x5? Yeah, like a, like a two and a quarter, like, wipe off from a Polaroid or something. <laughs> like, I don't know how I'd feel about that. Well, you get an FP3000B negative. Negative, yeah. Here you go. It's like still crinkly, stuck to the envelope. <laughs> but yeah, this kind of ensures everybody we're all on the same playing field, and that it's all going to go out. Because I know the last time there was some, uh, you know, s- some lost in translation, lost in, uh, in uh, customs, yeah, kind of stuff. So this this might really smooth out the process, and I'm all up for uh, somebody else printing for me for a while. Well, uh, everyone, stay tuned for some more information about this new groovy print exchange. Tell us what you think. Yeah, uh, it sounds like an excellent idea, and uh, it's really nice to hear from Spencer. You know who's a big, sharp uh, supporter? Who's that? Dane Johnson. Really? Loves. That's great. Because he's, a, he's a, a, a home scanner with his Epson V700. Yes. <laughs> and he's shooting so much wacky stuff with his mod, modded out cameras. Yeah. He just sends it all. He just puts it all in an envelope and sends it to Spencer. I, E6 I'm, included. I'm, I'm still a, a loyal uh, you know Miller's guy, but I've... Uh, I'm gonna have to give sharp, sharp the you know the whole run through the whole test. Yeah, you know we're here talking and I'm just so stubborn. <laughs> still working on that battery pack. I'm still working on that flash. We're gonna get we're gonna get the dark side of the moon flash running. I don't know problems. Yeah. <laughs> it's got some problems. Well, it's good that Dane uses sharp. That's uh yeah keep him running. Yeah, you know and that's you know that's how labs stay alive. You know people are always talking about oh this lab's closed this lab's closed we used to have so many. Use them. They don't close if you use them. <laughs> it's um, it's it's a real jungle out there in the sense that it's a struggle. It's a real it's a real struggle for an indie lab these days. It is. So many labs are closing. You know, have closed. Folks out there listening, um, you can go to Flickr.com. You know, you join up. It's free, and then you search groups, film photography podcast, and you will find um, our group. You know, it's a pretty active group. Very active group. Lots of new topics every day. Yeah, new topics every day. And uh, one of the topics is Super 8, 16mm movie making. Which one? Lomo Kino. Well, I'm not doing that. I, I prefer Super 8. <laughs> you know, it's... it's So, uh, slowly, I'm starting to get back into... Which I have to remind you, Matt. you got to send that film out. I know. Or turn it over to me, and I'll just send it out. Okay. Well, I just wanted to wait until I had... Is it my, all shot? It's all shot, yeah. I'll call Pro 8, see what the story is. Okay, see if they can get it up. Yeah. Or does Dwayne's photo process... No. They don't. They don't. Only do um, reversal. Oh, ectochrome. And we have one of each. No, we have a triax, and we have a we have a color neg. Color neg's the hard one, though. You have a color neg? Yeah, we had a roll of color. That's what Tony Kwong gave us. Oh, yeah. Tony Kwong. Hey, hey, how's it going, Tony? How's it going? <laughs> what's next? What's up? Well, uh, let's see. We got. Uh, well, thank we got you, Spencer, for that letter. It's awesome. Yes, this is great. Aussie Phil. <laughs> Aussie Phil. Aussie Phil. Hello. Hey, John, it's Mike. Hey, Mike, it's John. How are you? Hey, me and Matt, you know, we're here on the FPP. Are you really? Yes. Hey, hi, everybody. With <laughs> hey, we, we have a letter here from Aussie Phil. From Aussie Phil, yeah. Hello, Mike. Good day. Aussie Phil. <laughs> Thank you, John. Thank you, John. Uh, when we're done, we're done. We're gonna we're gonna hop in the uh, Matt's uh, Nissan Gray Ghost and uh, come pick you up to go smoothing. All right, don't be late though. Eight o'clock sharp, right? 
Uh, yeah, if you can get here earlier, that'd be better. All Se- right. 7.45. 7.45. Awesome. Bring food. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is the, is the pizza, is Mr. Pizza open? Mr. D now. He's got the best... No, that's English. Oh. No, I gotta do like the rougher. He's got the best pizza around. <laughs> <laughs> how, how about a, gr- a gruffer, Aussie Phil? Mr. D now's got the best <laughs> pizza around. Uh, you can't do gruff. Now. I sound like the, the Cockney accent. Oh, okay. It's very close, yeah. on the spot here, pal. Okay. Is, is, I didn't do my accent warm-ups. I start with Swedish. I work with South Africa. Is, uh, is Pauly Pizza open? Pauly, I, you know, I don't know. We're going to have to see on the way home. Well, we're going to have to hit the TikTok then. I'm pretty hungry. And it's only oh, like boy. 6.30. Yeah, well, they're open all night. Get breakfast any time of day. Okay. That's part about living in, that's part about living in New Jersey at the diners. Absolutely. Get breakfast any time of day. I don't know if that's the same thing in the rest of the world, but... You have anything you want to say to the uh, FPP community? I uh, just hope you're out there clicking your hearts out and loving it. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, it was, right? Thank you, John. All right, All right. well, I hope everyone's well, and uh, I'll see you guys very soon. Excellent. All right, see you, John. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye, everybody. John will be back on the podcast soon. Anyone out there missing him? I usually get letters. Where's John? It's always everyone loves John. Yeah. Aussie Phil. Hey, Aussie Phil. Hey. It's been a while, so I thought I'd drop you a line so you can stop worrying about how I am. <laughs> <laughs> we were worried about you. We genuinely worried. So to get the big ticket items out of the way, one, I still love the show. Matt and all the new crew are just like old friends now. Just as important as you and John. Look at that. Oh. Oh, that's great. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Elsie Phil. I really appreciate people sticking with the show. Two, I still shoot film. Getting back into large format again, thanks to Matt's enthusiasm. People tell me I'm enthusiastic. I hear. I hear that. That's. I don't think that anyone's can. We're very enthusiastic. Yes. (laughs) So, three, I still have gas. <laughs> on, our, on our least enthusiastic days, when we're just dragging ourselves through the day, yeah. we're enthusiastic. We are. We'll, we, we try to find like the super positive aspects of yeah. the day, even though it's yeah. like the shittiest day ever. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so four, the wife and kids are great. Oh, great. Little Aussie Phil's running yeah. around <laughs> with John's voice. Is there an Aussie Phil Jr.? Or maybe there's an Aussie Phyllis. Love it. I love it. <laughs> Five, and the Aussie dollar is still strong. Oh, you know, I haven't been following the Australian dollar. I've been following the Canadian dollar. How's the American dollar doing? American dollar's doing Everything's good. Everything's hanging in there? We're still a tad stronger than Canadian. That's okay. kind of how I, I gauge it. Yeah, I always gauge it Canada overtook the, us for a while. I usually gauge it against the pound. Oh, I just, that's just sad. <laughs> when, you, when you go into New York City and you see the amount of British people visiting... It's because they can come with their money and buy a boatload of stuff yeah. because the dollar like is so going to Mexico. <laughs> yeah. He also apologized. I haven't sent you guys anything in, in, the, in the mail yet, but I will. It's only been two years and two months, but who's counting? Yes. <laughs> no, you know, folks out there are not obligated to send anything to FPP. Oh, he's also promising uh, as soon as he wins the lottery, we're getting first class tickets out to Australia. So. Oh, nice. Okay. FPP, Great. Uh, Great. FPP Australia. FPP down under. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one day, Mike, one day. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. <laughs> Let's see. Oh, and now the main reason I'm writing to you is uh, he wanted to let us know about uh, a four by, five by four. That's five by four in Australia? Five by four. Yeah, they, okay. take, the, they take the Brit side on it. So a uh, home processing kit I've recently purchased that listeners may also want to hear about. You might want to hear about this too because you're sending everything out. It's called Mod 54 and the website's mod54.com. 
It's basically like a plastic sheet film holder designed to fit into a three-reel Patterson tank. It holds, uh, it's exactly the same as you would do for roll film, 120 or 35 millimeter film with the inversion agitation in the tank. Not not taco. (laughs) No taco, but there's, uh, but it will hold six uh, four by five sheets on this little spindle. You're kidding. No, it drops in. They they have videos on, uh, they're on the bay too. For folks out there listening, we're talking about large format photography, four by five, whereas you shoot your, your pictures. But instead, instead of sending over to the dark room, you just do it at home. Sheet. <laughs> <laughs> so you get a tank, Patterson tank. It's a, a tank, a three reel Patterson tank. So they're it's a little bigger, bit taller, right? a little taller. Yeah. And in there is a spindle or something that you clip the film onto. Mm-hmm. So sort of. Yeah. How many? How many? Six. Six. That's great, That's right? Incredible. I know. That's and pretty good. Aussie Phil invented this. No, no, no. That's. Uh, does Freestyle have it? No, Freestyle oh, doesn't. Where do you get it? Uh, from mod54.com, or they also have an eBay account, because I've seen them on the Bay a couple times. And they're a reasonable price. The insert is $70, but it's uh, but you do need your own tank. They don't include the tank, so you have to have a Patterson tank mm-hmm. and all the other stuff to develop black and white. But they're indispensable. They last a long time. They don't shift your film around. They have these neat little things that kind of lock it in there once the sheet's all the way in. It looks really... And it does a great job. I've seen results from it. If so. you're going to stay committed to doing home processing, investing in the tanks, all this stuff. is a complete necessity. Complete necessity. And you can always, if you lose interest, you always pass it along or sell it. I mean, it's sort of like when someone asks, oh, should I buy the, the, the Epson V700 scanner? Yes, and the it's, answer an, it's, is, an, it's an investment in the rest of whatever you're going to do with film yeah, photography. Yeah, so. That's how you have to think of it. Well, that, that was it. You know, I, I have to agree. The, the Mod 54 or any of those... Fifty, uh, any of those four by five tank processors, aside from taco, <laughs> taco method, right. very consistent. Wow, really good agitation. It's like every letter, like the last letter from Spencer was like I was going to say letter of the day. Like now, this is like like Phil, this letter of the day. Yeah, we have like twelve letters of the day. That's fine. That's good information. That yeah. mod fifty four. And for people that don't know Aussie Phil, Aussie Phil has a great Flickr photo stream, and he is Luna Light SBC on the Flickr. <laughs> That's what it says on the flicker. Yeah, on the flicker. <laughs> so, but this is a great segue, Mike. Yes. Let's uh, let's jump into these four by five holders. Oh, real okay. Quick. We're talking about four by five. Yes. While we're on four by five, I can show you these uh, for Christmas, ladies and gents. I got Mike a whole box, whole box, whole case of four by five holders, and they're they're vintage. They're a little older. They're uh, metal right way film holders. They're plastic film holders with metal dark slides, and I like those a little bit better because they just feel solid. Like you know, your film is in there tight. For those of you out there who are wondering what the heck's going on, oh, by the way, our good friend uh, Dan in Australia is looking at buying a Crown Graphic. Uh, Norbert? Yeah. Yeah, you know, he's got, he does such a good job with e- whatever you give him to shoot yeah. gold. Yeah. Like, you know how we were talking about no one plays, pays respect to the Spectra? Yeah. He does the Spectra justice, man. Yeah. He's got such a, uh, Daniel Class on Flickr. Yes, K-L-A-S K-L-A-S a- AAS or ASS? Daniel. Daniel. Class. And then KL. Let's find out. Yeah, let's. I got a. Holy shit, I got a computer here. <laughs> <laughs> but in uh, the meantime, okay, so so this is fairly new to me, and I'm still, you know, getting out there. Um, not as much as I like large format photography. But he's out there. Yeah, I'm out there. So, and, and 
as you know, my 4x5 camera sat in a heap for a year. Yes. But now that I know how to use it, it doesn't feel so foreign. No, the fear's which, gone. The fear's gone, which is, you know, you know the old expression here at the FPP. Don't be scared. Don't be scared. You're it's, right. It's AAS. Uh, AAS. So it's Daniel, D-A-N-I-E-L-K-L-A-A-S. And he's just got like... Just awesome, awesome model shoots. Yes, awesome landscapes. But whatever format he's shooting, mostly square format, he rocks it. Yes. <laughs> and now, I think I've almost talked to him the four by five. <laughs> he's itching to get a crown graphic. Nice. He's looking on the bay, and you know some bay sellers will not ship to outside the U.S. So I told Daniel, I'm like, well, have them ship it to FPP. Oh, you'll do them. A, you'll do. We have a solid. shipping room because yeah. of the store. I'll do them a solid. Yeah. That's good. Um, so I was a little confused because here I'm holding in my hand a film holder. So if you have a, a, a large format camera, your film doesn't isn't on a roll. Nope. Roll. <laughs> <laughs> it could be in a pack, but usually not. Not in a pack. No, not usually. Unless it's instant. Yes. So you have to take your sheet of film. Sheet. <laughs> <laughs> it rolls off the tongue. <laughs> you have to take your sheet of film and put it in a film holder. In the dark. In the dark, and then you put the film holder in into the back of the camera. It's used like a springy thing. Yep. And then you take out your dark slide to expose the film to the camera, to the lens. Take your picture and then replace it. Yeah. yeah. So this is all new to me, and I'm very fortunate that I was given a gift of, of goodies from Leslie uh, from Imagine That. And then today, uh, Matt dropped off his gift for me. Yeah. Thank you, Matt. Oh, you're welcome. Because I feel you can never have enough of these because... You cannot. And and they're pricey if you go to buy them from somebody that knows what they're worth. Oh, my God, they're pricey. Two pieces of film, one per side. I I like the term they use in Australia and in Britain, double dark slide, because it's it's two sheets. Two sheets per holder. Right. Two dark slides, two shots. Now I'm trying to figure out... Did you have film in them? No, no, I don't. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Oh, that's beat. Like, you really have to label... You have to be very, very in, yeah, thorough. I'm, now, to me, the black side out would mean not exposed. But that is not the standard convention. The standard convention is unexposed is white. Pick, pick, uh, pick a side and stay and with stay with it. I switched and I ruined two sheets of film. What we're because talking of it. about here is the the black slide that you pull out. The, the, the part you pull out, one side is black, one is white. Yep. And that's to indicate to you that when of what ex, what is yeah, what's exposed. Going, what's going on in the holder because you can't you have a can't remember. Can't see. Yeah. So, but even uh, on top of that, Mike, they do it, they go one step further. Like there's so much uh, technology built into these. Could you get one of your, your nice holders too? I really want a nice holder. Yeah. Have Less, oh yeah, we'll get a, we'll get a, a, one of the ones I gave you too. I mean, they're not complete bums. But those are like the Leslie gave you like the Cadillac. Of oh, holders. I like Cadillacs. Uh, <laughs> but well, so if your film is shot exposed, yeah, do you want a, a white out? black black out? If it's unexposed, white. So like, uh, so you know that it's it's good to shoot. Now, why did you switch? I switched because every every manual or everything I kept reading large format wise was saying do it the other was do was do it the way I just described, and I've been doing it the other way. I just gave up. I, conf- I got confused one day, and you never want to get confused because then you, oh, you, you no. get scared, yeah. you start making mistakes, and I ruined two sheets of film, and two sheets 8x10 is expensive. But no, these uh, these Cadillac holders, the right way, they're plastic holders, and they have a little dummy button, and the dummy button prevents you from pulling the dark slide until it's in the spring back of oh, the yeah, holder, that's, and that's... That, that releases the tension, and then you pull it, yep. and it's unexposed, but... 
Uh, back to what the indications mean. So the white, the unexposed portion, if you notice, see how there's like ridges yep. on here? This is so if you're in the dark and you're flipping through your stacks and you kind of get, because you have a bunch of them now, you might get confused. You can feel this and say, oh, there's film in it. It's unexposed. But when it's exposed and you replace smooth. it, smooth. So you know, got to take this out. I mean, they just thought wow. of all these different things. Isn't it great? Yeah. 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 But all of them have it. Even these old, but even these older holders. See how the, um, the older metal holder. slides? Older holder has the ridges right there. These too. are like uh, Datsun. They're not Cadillacs. <laughs> no. But they're very solid. But when it's not this, not, when it's not this piece of shit, it's, they're good. So things you want to look out for in an older holder. But so if you buy your camera on the bay. Or from a seller. Chances are there's going to be some film and some holders. You may get a few, but not as many as you need because you may want to go out on an excursion. Take you 10, 20 have, sheets. Yeah, yeah, you may want to have you know, a lot of film ready to go if you're trigger happy. Yeah. Some folks, uh, Sean Galbraith, we talked, we talked to him in New York yep. last year. He, uh, he has like a, a suitcase full of it, but there's, uh, you know, he takes maybe 10, 20 holders with him whenever he goes somewhere oh. ready to shoot. Some people they have a. It almost looks like Batman's utility belt, and oh, it holds like out. holds like five of these holders on e- no in each way. pouch. Yeah, it's it's hilarious. You, where, did you, where did you see that? I saw a, an old. He was an older guy because he had the he had the photographer's vest. Because you only shoot good pictures right. when you wear that tan vest with the fishnet on right. it. <laughs> no, they're fabulous though. But he had that, and he had like the Batman utility belt, and he had like he had like everything in this thing it was great yeah he had the vest the work the work vest it was fabulous yeah so what you want to look for though in like these these holders is if you get a new one that that's a it's called a right way or a fidelity elite or a lisco regal i mean if it's got a name that just sounds good oh, you this know is like a bomb, this one that one's a bomb yeah i was yeah. gonna talk about those but the the modern plastic ones they're gonna be really good they're, they're gonna last quite a long time i mean some of the, the holders I got you are over 50, 60 years old, but they're good. This is the right way. That's the right. Yeah, those are the older right ways. They're very good when they're not uh, completely effed in the light seals. So things you want to check, uh, light seals. Yes. When you open up these holders where the dark slide comes out, there's two places that are sealed off from light. Where the dark slide comes yes. out, there's some foam in there. And then on this flap, and the flap's where you load the film. Look at this. You see that on the right way holder? You can even number your exposures. That's crazy. And holders. Shit. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, <laughs> that is. But it is. It's so crazy. Some people get really technical. But see, there's a little bit of foam right there. Yep. And that foam right inside the crease of the flap and the flap it just flips right open. It uh it has some foam. And if the foam looks even like halfway good, you're light tight. Because there's a lot there's um a bunch of different ways. Yep. It's a block light and long way for light to travel. Even this busted one, the one side you could use. One side's good. Yeah. yeah. You just, and on those ones, um, you can actually repair the flaps with gaffer's tape. Oh. And it's good to, and it's good to shoot with. The only thing you don't want to have is like a, a hole in the dark slide. The ones that look like they so got... It's pretty dirty though. Yeah. Oh yeah. Dust them out. You always got to dust them out. A lot of those are good to go. Yeah. But so, it, it's fun and it, it's exciting shooting large format. Yeah. And you know, if you can get them for cheap, buy as many as you can because mm-hmm. buying them new... It's just depressing. It's oh, like, you can buy them new. Who would sell them new? Adorama B&H. Okay. And they're like $75 new. How many do you get? One. No. Or No, no, they sell them twin packs for the small ones. Yeah. So if I bought this, two... You know, two of those, so four shots is $75. No way. So get them, yeah. Usually you can get them in lots on the bay. 50 bucks lot. Yeah. So are you on the bay? Well, let's look on the bay. 
You would put four by five film holders. Yes, exactly. That's exactly what I'm gonna. Or four by five. It will, or Where five by four. Where would we be without eBay? We wouldn't have a show. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, oh, here's a good lot. This guy's got, but see, he's got oh. older ones. Graphic Elite Fidel, uh, Fidelity and Rightway. It looks like he has five old, five wooden ones. The wooden ones, kind of bum. The smaller okay. wooden ones. Plastic, fantastic. Plastic, so, fantastic. Exactly. So 19 of these holders, $97. Buy it now. <laughs> oh. Get that right now. But see, this guy's got nine, and they're the really good ones. $100. But that's a good deal. It's a very good deal. All of them are good deals because they're they're on the used market. They're not brand new. Right. Some of these guys selling them brand new. And you read the descriptions, and a good guy will tell you that they've been well taken care of. You, it's just that sixth sense you develop. The more you, the more money you <laughs> spend on the bay, you just know this guy knows what he's talking about. Yeah. This guy just obviously opened a closet door and took some pictures, and yeah. now he's selling it. So you get a feel for that. And see, here's some late model ones. Five for five for fifty. That's not too. I don't. There's quite a quite a selection. A huge selection. But here, there's a um, brand new ones. Hundred fifty dollars for this one. And what would you say? Would you say that this is a uh, piece of people that are selling these? Are these seasoned photographers who kind of like they, they don't want to shoot anymore? They've moved on in their life. A lot of well, once you're into like four by five and large, you know, large format and even higher and medium format, you have to figure a, a large majority of those guys aren't going to be working professionals anymore. They're hobbyists. They're just right. kind of flipping, uh, flipping equipment. Right. So they may be a, a time in their life where they rather watch the ball game. And they have no, <laughs> they have no desire to get their best dollar for it. They just it. want to, a lot of guys unload it, want yeah. to unload it and hope some of them, you know, are a bit nostalgic. Make want a couple to see bucks. That yeah. Someone is going to use it. Exactly. And that's, usually the large format guys are more patient. <laughs> guys, they're usually a little uh, little better to strike a deal with. So I got a really good deal on yours. That's why you got so many. <laughs> oh, and is it true that if you're in the Midwest, United States, that you could actually go into like uh, state sales and like you find like entire four by five film setups? Even well, even here in the East Coast, I visited some uh, upstate New York places before coming before barging into FPP. <laughs> that that's it with the four by five film holders. Well, you, Make Matt. sure that the light seals are good. We got a couple more listener letters. Yeah. Should we? We're gonna take a quick break. Okay. When we come back. We're gonna have listener letters. We're gonna talk about Lomo Kino, baby. Oh. And. Um, and some other stuff. <laughs> All right, we'll be right back. Hey, this is Michael Rosso. Did you know that the Film Photography Podcast is listener-supported? That's right. Without you, there is no Film Photography Podcast, which is why we need your help. Please consider donating to the Film Photography Podcast by going to filmphotographypodcast.com and in the upper right-hand corner, clicking the Donate button. Your donation will keep the Film Photography Podcast running through 2012. Any purchase that you make in the Film Photography Podcast store will also support the Film Photography Podcast. Let's keep these shoes coming. That's right, yeah. Support the Film Photography Podcast. Yeah. Hey, we're back. Hey, we're back. Hey, we're back. Hey, we're back. I went uh, on the break. I went into storage, and I got another. This is called Polaroid One Step and Pronto. Ooh, tested. Tested. This one works. Nice. So what do you got? You got another letter, Matt? Yeah, I got a couple more letters here. Let's see. This is from Mark 
uh, Gilbreth, and Mark says, I noticed on some of your latest podcasts, you mentioned alternative photographic processes. Oh. Hey! There's one in particular that has always intrigued me called the cyanotype. I'm very familiar with the cyanotype, Mark. It's mostly been used for producing contact prints of objects and other photos, but I've always wondered if anyone had tried it in camera. Turns out that a handful of people have. That's very interesting. They either use handmade cyanotype or a commercially available sun print or sun art paper that is sensitive to UV. Very cool. The commercial paper tends to work better. You need extremely long exposures of three to eight hours depending on the sun and the aperture of your camera. Wow. That's a long... Three to eight... Like, I worry about a one-second exposure. (laughs) Three to eight hours. Wow. I recently converted a Polaroid one-step for this purpose. Don't worry. I still love to shoot Polaroid, Mike. (laughs) (laughs) And on this one, it was it was a sp- oh it was his spare '80s model he had sitting around. I removed the shutter mechanism and enlarged it so that more he enlarged the aperture so more light can come through. Oh, is that right? During the exposure, that's pretty that's pretty Danish. People are getting <laughs> Danish, <laughs> Danish. I get it. Danish. Yeah, okay. okay, yes. Now I'm hungry. All right. Like in Dane Johnson. Yes, d- yes, Danish. in Dane Johnson. Yes. I also repurposed old empty an old empty 600 film holder to use to carry the paper to kind of hold it in place that's really oh that is ingenious yeah you can cut it to you can cut the paper to any size the commercial paper because it comes a little bigger but anyway he's attached a photo of some empty buildings i took using this camera look at that oh yeah it's kind of neat and where is this gentleman but he says he has this is a three-hour exposure and it's a little underexposed so maybe he'll try six to eight yeah <laughs> but wow that's great and he also uh notes in here that the cyanotype is coming out a little bit sepia i wonder if he's toning it because uh cyanotypes are really cool because they come out blue Blue, you know, like a blueprint yeah. kind of blue and you can do all sorts of cool stuff with it if you have some extra coffee laying around like junk coffee yeah you can tone it in coffee you oh. can tone it in tea yeah yeah you can tone it um you can tone it in gold in gold uh in platinum you can tone it in all the different metals for all the different alternative processes look cyanotype is usually like a first alternative photographic process for people because it's very accessible and the chemicals are very cheap so and this is something that you could investigate at like a company like Freestyle Photographic Freestyle Supply. Freestyle is all about alternative photographic processes. I think they might even sell some of this uh, this commercial right. uh, blue, uh, blue paper for cyanotypes. So let's see if he has anything else. Once I get exposure down, I may try larger images up to 8 by 10 Have you guys ever heard of this technique? Well, now I have. <laughs> but I think it's very cool that people do a lot of stuff in camera. There's a lot of guys that shoot the large format and ultra large format. Yes. Anything bigger than 8 by 10 where they do things directly in camera. They used to take um, old RA4 color paper or sebachrome paper yes ra4 you had to, you got an, a working negative a working color what negative. is ra4 ra4 is just the name of the process it used to be ra3 and then before that it was ra2 and <laughs> they haven't changed it anymore so it's ra4 and this is a little more complex than your average darkroom printing oh yeah darkroom printing uh normally is black and white that's all i do ra4 is subtractive color you know cymk so this is like darkroom techniques on steroids with color yeah and it's in complete (laughs) darkness oh has to be done because it's sensitive to all colors of light Yeah, yeah Um, but what people would do is they would take sebachrome paper, direct positive paper. It's like the really expensive stuff that they discontinued last fall. And they would shoot a positive right in, in camera, but they would do it on a big sheet of paper in like uh, in like a U-Haul or something. They'd like convert the side of a van or a U-Haul into a camera and they load the paper in there (laughs) and it shoots a positive right on the paper. It's it's really intense. It's, it's very cool. It seems intimidating. Yeah, but like any anything else in in film photography, once you try it and you know and you can get and you know you can get a result or a better result than the one you got, you're you're hooked. What is the starting point 
for alternative process? Cyanotype. Do you need to do darkroom work first, like basic black and white? No, no basic black and white. That really helps. And have a negative that you can like print from that yes. works really well. I mean, you know, Mark here, he's doing it writing camera. He's modifying a Polaroid camera. He's kind of like taking an extra step forward. I would say for anybody that wants to alternative process, um, a great website. Freestyle. Freestyle <laughs> is awesome for alternative photographic yes. processes. They sell these um, these these sheets. 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 Uh, they're laminated sheets and they're they're cheat sheets for alternative pr- process. So every, cheat So everything you need to know about that process is printed out and laminated, so you can put it in your darkroom, and you never have to worry about you know forgetting a little step. It's all right there. And those are printed by F two ninety five, which is a group out of uh, Pennsylvania, and they hold a conference every year about alternative photographic processes. So holy smokes! Yeah, they're it's intense, but you can they have these starter kits that you can buy, and the right. starter kits are usually made by a photographer's formulary or a Bostick and Sullivan, and they're out of uh, they're way out west, but they have a lot of cool stuff and uh, alternative processes. They're just cool because they're it feels handcrafted, you know, like yes. there's so much work behind it that like it's. It has to be rewarding. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Yeah. So there's it's hands on. Very hands on. And that's, you know, with all the stuff I'm up yeah. to lately, that's all I'm doing is alternative process with with the eight by ten stuff. Right. So. Well thank you. Yeah. And thank you. What was it, Mark? And Who? thank you, Mark. Uh you didn't leave us oh he, Mark Gilbreth. Okay. Gilbreth. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. Well thank you. Let's barrel through one more letter sure. before we go. Oh man, we are late. We have to smooth it. Okay. We're gonna uh, uh Matt and I are smoothing out. Okay, this is from uh, from listener Peter McCabe. Hello, Michael and the rest of the FPP crew. It feels like this is a long overdue mail as I've just finished listening to the backlog. See, I was telling you, everyone loves that backlog. <laughs> uh, the backlog of FPP, and it's like hanging out with a bunch of friends and have a chat and a laugh. Thanks for making the, my commute to work all the more enjoyable and educational to boot. I live in Dundalk, Ireland, 50 miles north of Dublin. I've been into photography for a number of years. And with most people I age, I grew up in the digital era and began with a, a Canon Rebel and now a 5D Mark II. It's their, motion, it's their digital uh, HDSLR yes. that does the video. So, but thanks to you and the podcast and the Impossible Project, I've been turned on to the world of film photography in a big way, and the digital camera has been more or less gathering <laughs> dust for the past few months. I'm mainly hooked on instant photography, and at the moment have have a current bout of gas and can definitely be blamed on you guys. <laughs> I have purchased an Auto 100 and 420 oh. from the FPP store over the past. And man, what beautiful cameras. I also have a 635 Supercolor, an SX70, a Super Swinger. <laughs> <laughs> Super swinger. Super. That takes 3000B only. Oh, it's nice. A black and white camera. SLR 680. Super swinger. And I'm eagerly awaiting the arrival of an SX70 sonar and a pol- and a Polytronic flash. He's got the gas, Mike. Oh, thank you. Fruits. Fruit snacks. <laughs> Man, you're he's he's strung out. Well, now he's now he's toying with the idea of getting a medium format camera. Yes. And he's also been checking out RZs and RBs. Oh. The big stuff. On the web. But might have to wait a while as my girlfriend is starting to look at me funny because I've got all this gas. Oh, man. <laughs> the only thing that scares me about 35 or, or 120 is is that I'm into long exposures, landscapes, seascapes, photography, using Lee ND filters. Those are the neutral density uh, filters that clip on. And, and with exposure times often several minutes long. I use the 5D for this and at the moment don't know how film will hold up to the exposures that long. I have to do a bit more research. Well, if you keep going through the backlog, I'm sure you're bound yeah, to find yeah, our yeah. reciprocity failure and, and the blog that uh-huh. uh, myself and uh, Dan Domi worked on. 
So I would say check that out, Peter. Love the last. Oh, he, he loves uh, any podcast we have that has uh, Impossible Project features. You know, Scott Myvogel. Right. The, the inter- everyone loves uh, Vivian's interviews. Oh, you know, great. we get we get letters about that all the time. Yeah, yeah. Just like she's she's do all of our interviews. Yes. <laughs> he just uh, can't wait. He has to get over to the factory sometime because he's only an hour and a half flight away. Very nice. Go. What are you waiting for? Yeah. Get over there, Peter. So let's see. Thanks again for the very enjoyable and educational podcast. I've been spreading the FPP world over <laughs> over the land of Guinness, Shamrock and Blarney. <laughs> very nice. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Yeah. We have to uh, fly. Hit the rickety road. Yeah, we have to hit the road. We're expected at the smooth rehearsal space in Jersey City, New Jersey. So we got to fly out of here. It's been great. Uh, a nice burst of energy. Oh, yes. We want to hear from you. Filmphotographypodcast at gmail.com. Yo. And you can write us a letter. Oh, if you want to write us a letter, like a real letter, P.O. Box 152, Butler, New Jersey, 07405. And don't forget about the website, the main site, filmphotographyproject.com. Check it out. Hey, we're going to see you in two weeks. Only two weeks. Two weeks. Maybe we'll bring the wrecking crew. <laughs> you know what it's going to be? It's going to be like, uh, what was that movie where uh, like the big deal was like Robert De Niro and Al Pacino are going to be in the same movie. Oh, that's what it's going to feel like, yeah. Heat. <laughs> Because we have yet, we don't, ha- we have not had a show where you're on with Dane. All right, gang, we'll see you in two weeks. See, feet. GAF Super 8 movie cameras. They've got professional features like through-the-lens viewing zoom lenses and through-the-lens automatic exposure meters. They let you do things professionals do without all the work professionals do.